There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Rick Clemens. Hi Rick, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Sure, thanks for having me Mark. So I am a guy who has had a lot of interesting twists and turns in life as all of us have, but um, this has led me to doing some work that is really close to my heart and it's really truly about helping anyone from any walk of life make bold moves, but it tends to be men in general that I help make bold moves in their lives. Those guys who come up against something, feel like they can't move through it. Maybe they have a dream that they keep pursuing, but they're not quite ready to step forward and say, okay, this is who I am. And a lot of this has come from realizing that men in general struggle with their masculinity in some way, shape or form. And when we have these masculine things that hold us back, we don't actually do the things we want to do. And um, it's turned into a real passion of mine to work with men from all walks of life, all ages, everything from high school guys all the way on up to guys that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s to really step in, make their bold move, live life on their terms and um, do the things they're meant to do. We were chatting just before we came on air and you were saying you go into sort of high schools and colleges and universities and things. And, and what's the sort of thing that you sort of find sort of talking to, to males in that environment that you feel either holding them back or, or sort of insecurities that they come up against? Well, I think the biggest thing that shows up for most of us as men is there's this construct of who we're supposed to be. We all, you know, as humans, we all kind of live by, okay, well, other people's expectations, which is one of the big pillars in my work is why do we live by other people's expectations? Now, this isn't like, okay, you can't go to a job and say, no, I'm not going to live to the expectation of getting this job. done. that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is why do we allow other people's expectations to keep us from doing the things we most want? And even as I do the work that I do, what I discover is from a very young age, for most of us, um, we start to fall into that trap of, oh, this is what I'm expected to do. And then suddenly we get into that hamster wheel, so to speak. And before we know it, like me, I was 36 years old before I realized, wow, so much of what I'm doing here is because I was living by what other people expected me to do. And when I get to the college university level, it's really interesting. Um, when I step in there at times, actually almost every time I step into a setting there, I find students, especially male students, who will admit that they are pursuing a career or higher education that really isn't what they want. They're going for a, a major or they're pursuing a pathway based on what somebody else has said, this is what you should be. You should be a doctor or you should be an engineer or, you know, all these things. And they're not happy. And yet the one thing they don't know how to do is take a stand, make a bold move 
and say, I'm going to live life on my terms. And that's very common. And then what we find, at least what I found in a lot of the stuff that I've done, is this is when you run into students and men in general, but I'm going to start with the college students since that's what we were talking about. There's depression. There's peer pressure. There's, um, you know, okay, I've got to go do this thing to prove who I am. And then suddenly they're wrapped up into this whole masculine energy dynamic of this is what a man's supposed to be. And they lose themselves. And what I find so fascinating when I get to do the work is helping someone unravel that piece makes all the difference in the world of how they start to show up and be the man that they're supposed to be in their own life. And when you can show up being the man you're supposed to be in your own life, then you can be a much better man in society. I think that really makes a lot of sense and it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And I think what I know lots of teenagers and young people find is difficult is because, you know, you sort of get into schooling and you do as you're told and you try and keep the peace and you do well in the exams you're supposed to do well in, like you say, and then mm-hmm. you sort of, through various sort of channels, you're pushed into maybe this career or that career. And it, just to actually turn all that on its head a little bit and actually just be able to say, what is it that I'm about and what is it I want to achieve? And can I use my schooling? Can I use my um, academic ability to get me in that direction, use them as a tool? And that's a really sort of different way of thinking, isn't it? To just feeling like you're completely trapped. It is. And, you know, the first time I discovered this was, so most my, all of my work started at, in the LGBTQ community. And as I was working through helping people come out of the closet late in life, all this sort of stuff, I had the opportunity to start speaking at colleges and universities. And as I would talk to those students, I started sensing there was something else besides the LGBTQ coming out story that was resonating and was bubbling under the surface. Because almost every time I spoke, I'd have students come and say that really resonated with me. And then I'd ask questions like, well, you know, are you feeling like you're trapped, like you can't be who you want to be, are you trying to come? And what was so interesting, Mark, was many times those conversations weren't about that student. It wasn't about their sexuality. It wasn't anything about that. It's like, no, I just, what you said really resonated with me. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because I know that sometimes students won't say, yeah, I'm in the closet and I don't want to come out and say I'm gay or bi or whatever it is. But I've gotten pretty good at like reading the vibe on someone. And I thought, there's something else here. So about two weeks later, after that first thought really hit my, you know, in my little head, I was in a college classroom, a pretty good sized college classroom. There's probably a couple hundred students on this particular um, event. And um, I was doing my normal talk. And in, in the midst of it, I said, so... I want you guys to do something for me. I want everybody to close their eyes and said, actually, I want everybody to put their head down. Now, please don't fall asleep, of course, because <laughs> it was right <laughs> after lunch. And I said, please don't look around because this is a really private moment. I want anyone in this room currently who feels like they aren't able to be themselves and maybe they're sitting here in this class pursuing a direction or a major that they don't want to be pursuing, but they're doing it simply because somebody else said, this is what you need to do. I was so shocked. Over half the class raised their hands. And it was such a beautiful teaching moment because, and I know I could tell that nobody was really peeking. I said, okay, I want everybody to just sit up. Let's kind of shake that out. And I said, so how many of you think it was 10% raise their hand. And I went up, you know, the ladder. 
By the time we got to 50%, I said, the number was over half of you raised your hands. And this is why I come and do the work I do. Because now is your best opportunity to begin to live life on your terms, to begin to authentically be who you're meant to be. So that at 36 years old, you don't wake up like I did and said, wow, I've been living for everyone else. And that sense has become a standard part of my talks because it's so powerful for students to hear the number and to see, wow, this isn't about gay, straight, any of that. It's about me living life the way I'm meant to be living it. And do you think they got some kind of support in terms of, of that number, which on sort of first hearing seems quite shocking. But then mm-hmm. when you realize that there's a large proportion of you all feeling the same way, I guess there's some kind of community that comes out of that from there. Well, there is, because what's so interesting, and, and this one particular college I spoke a lot at. I mean, we were there like, it was a group panel sort of thing typically, but sometimes I was there on my own. We were on campus at that particular college at a minimum I would say eight to 10 times over a quarter or a semester. And it would be interesting. I'd be walking across campus, going to yet another, you know, another class or another event. And students would come up to me and say, hey, you're the guy who spoke in my class. And you know what? You made me really realize something. And I just want you to know, I went and talked to my advisor and I'm on a better track. And what it, it did was there started to be this kind of little hubbub. And one of the teachers that constantly had us come in, she goes, I know I bring you in to talk about the sexuality stuff, but she goes, I need you to really realize when you did that exercise, Rick, because it was her class that I did the first one in. She goes, I had so many students come back the next class and say, can we not talk about sex? Can we talk about being who we are? And she said, Rick, you had so much impact on that. She goes, I'm so glad you did it. So back to your you know, community, what it does, it's kind of like coming out of the closet. Now I equate it to you all are going through a coming out journey right now. You're doing the exact same thing that someone who is truly hiding in the closet in their sexuality, you're doing the same thing, but your closet happens to be, I'm pursuing a major that I don't want to be in, or I'm not being who I really want to be because my parents said this is what I'm supposed to do. You're in the same closet. You're confused. You're scared. You're unsure. You don't have the courage to do this. You don't have the confidence. You're not quite ready to commit to saying, I'm, and it's, it becomes a really beautiful teaching moment and it does show them they are not alone and i guess once you open that door once you once they realize they have a choice or even if they don't feel they've got a choice they acknowledge the fact that's where they are and that's where the transformation starts and like you say whether it's just another conversation with the advisor or, or even a conversation with their parents or even a conversation i guess most importantly with themselves of yeah. kind of what is it i'm really about and what is it i really want to focus on mm-hmm well, the, and you, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because that is the starting point. Whether you're coming out of the closet about your sexuality, whether you're coming out of the closet to yourself about I'm in a job that I hate and I really don't want to be here, or I'm in a relationship that isn't working, or I really know I need to lose 50 pounds, the first step is truly acknowledging this is not what I want and really owning that. And the second step becomes giving yourself permission to say, I'm going to go change this. But it starts with you've got to admit it, which I always call is, is in the confusion stage. You gotta, you're going to sit there confused until you say, okay, I admit this is who I am or this is what I really want. Then you have to give yourself permission. And once you give yourself permission, that's when you start doing the curiosity phase. You start going and asking the right questions to figure out what you're going to do next. And I think this is one of the most beautiful things, you know, 
that I think your listeners can take away from this conversation today is never lose your ability to be curious. Nothing is black and white. And if you think everything is black and white, then you need to be even more curious because there's lots of shades of gray and there's lots of beautiful colors of the rainbow out there when we question and explore and and don't just settle for, you know, yes or no, because there isn't nothing is really yes and no for the most part. Yeah, no, I can really see that. And and can we just sort of bring that sort of around to your life as well? I mean, um, what does your life look now um, and how is it different from when you were growing up? But I'd like to also put a little caveat in there as well, because I know you also went from, um, obviously, when you were a student, but you went into corporate America and then also yeah. you know, now the great work that you're doing as well. So could you sort of split it into the three stages in terms of sort of your, your general home life as you were sort of growing up through school and then what your life looks different from your sort of what was, I assume, your nine to five to, to the way yeah. your life actually is now? Sure. So home life was pretty much like anybody's home life overall, um, ups and downs with, you know, family and parents and stuff. But the overriding thing was kind of did what mom and dad said you needed to do. Now, I will say this. Mom and dad always gave me some levity to kind of do things to a point. But one of the things that I was told I was going to do was I was going to go to church related schools. I went through church school all the way from when I was a first kindergartner all the way up till I was a sophomore in college. And do I regret it? Yes and no. Um, I don't because there was some structure that came with it. Do I regret it? Yes. Cause I felt like for a while there, I didn't really know what the, you know, the real world looked like, so to speak. But one of the things that happened in that is I got through that second year of college and I was exactly where I just described students to be. I was in a major I didn't want to be in, but I did it because it was the easiest thing to kind of step into. Now, ironically, as I say that, I was a dietetics major, nutrition and dietetics major. I do love everything to do with food, food and wine. However, because of the church school I went to, it was a Seventh-day Adventist school. There was no wine and food was very much limited to a vegetarian diet. But because of that, I did continue to love the world of food and hospitality, which is where I stepped into in my corporate life. However, I finished that degree with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because it really wasn't what I wanted. I didn't get the hotel restaurant degree. I got a hotel restaurant minor. But if I were to go back over and do it again, of course, you know, as we always say, knowing what I know now, I think I would do most of it the same way only because it became so much of who I am even today as we're having this conversation. I'll get to that after I talk about the corporate stuff. So I launched out, went into corporate America, was in the hospitality business for probably 15 years. And as I started to explore, what I found is, and this is an interesting little segue because I was just... Um, I kind of play around with horoscopes every once in a while. And um, yesterday I was looking at one of mine and it says, you always have good luck when you allow it to happen. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, then the next thing I picked up was, you know, kind of the pre-show stuff for this conversation. And, you know, you're gonna, I knew you were going to ask me this question. I thought, well, I'm going to talk about this luck piece. Every step of the way in my career, even though there's been ups and downs, there's been some piece of little luck that's shown up. Some piece of luck that said, hey, I need you to pay attention to this because this ties back to why you pursued the college career that you did. 
And each step of the way, even though the hospitality industry is tough, it's probably one of the toughest industries to work in. It's not one of the highest paid, you know, as far as making tons of money. Yes, people do make good money in it, but it's not one that you're like, wow, I'm going to go out and I'm going to just kill it, right? What I learned from being in that industry is appreciation for dedication and hard work, appreciation for people. I learned patience. I learned how to truly see things that you have to learn to look for in order for things to be better. Uh, it's always a challenge in that industry to make profitability and things like that. And because I started to learn all that stuff, as I worked through my career, I kept getting lucky breaks. So I started out as a food and beverage director at colleges and universities. Ironically, I find that an interesting correlation that this is where <laughs> I love to go speak also. Uh, then I moved into working for Marriott Hotels. And from there, I, I began to really appreciate, wow, the structure and, and the protocols and everything and the training that Marriott gave me. And then when I left there, I came to California and got hired by a small family-owned company, still in the hospitality industry, but it wasn't hotels. It wasn't super glamorous, but it was a great company. And um, from there, I actually got lucky and got recruited to work in the software industry, in the hotel industry, so hospitality software. And what I've found is as I really look over my career until the moment that I said I'm done with that, each piece beautifully built upon the next. I couldn't have seen it coming. In fact, it didn't really hit me how much I learned from being in those industries until the day I got laid off from my second really big position. And because of that layoff, and I had two right in a row, um, five years apart, I realized everything I had learned prepared me to do what I do today. And today, being a coach, a speaker, a podcaster, all those things, people are listening going, what does that have to do with being in the hospitality industry? It's because every bit and piece of experiences you have are going to prepare you for what's next, even if you don't have any clue what's next. And what I learned most from being in the hospitality industry was go with the flow and work hard. And as an entrepreneur, that's been the thing that's really saved me the most. And I guess, if I sort of heard you right, it's that kind of, it's almost like the same thing you were saying, sort of what was valuable about your school experience. It's actually not always necessarily all the positive things that happened or something which someone uh -huh. actually made very clear. It's it's an overall feeling or it's like, like you say, it was um, lots of vegetarian food if you want to be a meat eater uh -huh. or, or, you know, yeah. like you say, it's, it's a very um, um, religious school and you realise that you're really not religious or whatever it happens to be. Some of these really sort of uh, valuable experiences can be specifically the exact opposite of who you are, but you need to see both of those in order to really understand that. Absolutely. And one of the things that stood out for me, Mark, was the day. So the day that I got laid off, my husband and kids and I had just come back from a week long vacation and I walked in the door and went to my desk. And then my boss said, hey, we have time for a chat. And I'm like, sure. And she goes, hey, let's go to the president's office. I'm like, OK. You know, I knew we were we were doing some big stuff. So it wasn't surprised that, I, you know, here I've been actually I think I'd almost been gone two weeks. 
And I thought, okay, no big deal. They, you know, we got some stuff we got to dive right into. And I was pretty high up the food chain at that company. And I walked in from vacation and they laid me off. And it was so interesting. And even as I'm talking about this right now, it resonates even deeper because I'm going through some interesting shifts in my own business right now. In that moment, I said to myself, as I was angry. I was really angry because I was the third employee hired. So I had helped build that company. I said to myself, this is the last time. This is absolutely the last time I am going to do something to build somebody else's business. I am going to go build my own. And it's that perseverance and commitment that launched me as scary as it is. <laughs> At times when you're going, okay, where's the next, you know, gig coming? Where's the next client coming? It's the thing that continues to drive me. And I don't say that out of a negative, like, screw you way. I say that out of a, when you're committed to your path, your path will rise up to meet you. I think that's really important, isn't it? And I think it's really hard when you're in the middle of it. But actually, mm -hmm. when you when you actually able to step back enough, especially when you're in a sort of moments of uh, of tribulation, as it were, just to be able to think, you know, embrace it for what it is. Then, then from there, that just allows, like you say, the path to unfold. Well, and what's so interesting, Mark, is when that all began to happen. So here I am, this guy who's been, I guess, the best way to do describe the last 10 years of my life in hospitality was, you know, I was in the software business and I was in the dot-com business. Everything was around technology, but everything I did was around branding, marketing, all that sort of stuff. So as I stepped out, it was 2006. And at least here in the States, and I think pretty much on a global basis, it was becoming a real hard time in the hospitality industry because, you know, everything was happening. There was low travel, economies were kind of in the tank. So there wasn't a lot happening. Well, it gave me the opportunity because of connections I had to go do some contract work. But had I not been able to go do that contract work, I wouldn't have had the epiphany that I really hated doing what I was doing. I was good at it. And even today, I do a lot of my own marketing and branding, but there's times I don't like doing it. Had I not had that wake up call, I probably wouldn't have said, okay, if you don't enjoy doing this, then what? What's next? Because I think what happens, and this is something I hope your listeners really hear, even if we hate something and we don't enjoy doing it, the fear to go figure out what's next often is what prevents us from getting out of, I hate this and I don't really like it. Because there's a comfort in staying where the familiarity is that you don't get when you go, okay, so what's next? And because in the first two years of being laid off, I, I worked, I worked pretty consistently. I was very lucky to kind of work real consistently and get some gigs. I began to realize, okay, I don't really hate marketing and branding, but it's not my joy. And at that time I was starting to really experience and explore what does joyful living, what's happiness really mean? And the more I started delving into that, the more I started realizing the thing that turns me on, helping people, helping people figure out what makes them happy, diving deeper into the stuff that matters or rather than just money. And I'm not saying I don't love money. Wrong. <laughs> I, love, I love making money. I love being able to do things. But when I started to delve into that, that's when I'm like, aha, something's happening here. I'm feeling more alive. I'm feeling more excited. And had that not happened, 
I don't know that I wouldn't have just stayed in my rut and probably gone back to work at some point in time doing marketing and branding. Every once in a while, that kind of shows up. It's like, I could just go do this again. But I don't because I know what brings me joy. I know what makes me happy. And I know what I can do to stay in the lane. And all I have to do to stay in my lane is to go, yes. But do you remember how miserable you were sitting in a cubicle, sitting in an office, going nine to five? And it wasn't just nine to five because the levels I was at, there was no nine to five. It was 12, 14, 16 hour days most of the time. Yeah, and um, I can really understand that. And I was I was just thinking about back to those um, students you were saying about when you're giving your um, giving your speeches in the high schools and the colleges and that. And the, the the next question on here is which teacher do you remember and why? And I can I can almost hear all those people that have been in your talks just saying, "Well, it was Rick because he came in and he gave me this great, this great advice and uh, it really got me thinking." But I mean, is is there a teacher that you remember and and why do you remember those particularly? There are a couple. Um two that kind of stand out for different reasons. So the first one is, his name is Gary, I can't even think of his last name. He was the drama teacher at my Seventh-day Adventist college. And he had to really fight to be able to even do certain productions at our school because it was very Christian based and everything had to get approved and sometimes the scripts had to be changed because we didn't want it to be too racy, all this stuff. And I remember how hard he fought for the art for the art of allowing the art to be the teacher. And I also realize now, given the work that I've done helping, you know, men come out of the closet late in life, I'm pretty sure he was probably a closeted gay man in his own right, just because of things that I witnessed him. Not that he did anything. I don't want people to think, oh, he did weird stuff with his college guys. No, I just can tell he was very closeted. But what I admired most about him was he would go to bat for what he believed in, in the arts. And then when I got to my second college where I finished my degree, there was a teacher in, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> my college degree was based in the home economics department. I'm like, really? Dietetics and nutrition, home economics? I guess it kind of goes together, but it was just kind of weird. But yet then there were the fringes of, but you also are tied to the hotel restaurant college. Um, so she was, she was like a sex, sexuality teacher. I think hers was gender and human sexuality or something like that. And she was fun. She was really alive. She was bubbly and you could just feel the passion come off of her about why she loved teaching. And so here's one of those interesting connect the dots things. So here I am in this human sexuality gender class. And I still remember to this day her saying, we're going to explore some sexuality stuff. And this is probably going to make some of you feel very uncomfortable. But I want you just for a moment to imagine what it must feel like to be someone in your own body that you know you're not, but everybody around you is telling you, you have to be this. I just find it ironic that I remember that conversation or that <laughs> moment that she said that. Because at that time, I had already gone back in the closet. I'd already come out to my parents, and they're like, no, you can't be this, and da-da-da-da. And I remember sitting in that class just almost wanting to cry because I'd already made the decision, okay, I'm going to play by the rules. I'm going to be this. And that was the moment I almost went to my parents and said, nope, do whatever you want. Disown me, whatever you want to do. But then I thought, 
I think I'm not supposed to do that right now. And it was a huge impact in my life. And then the connection of the dots is, ironically, where do I go and speak? <laughs> Gender, sexuality, all those kind of classes. So there's a little thing that I do every time I, before I go into one of those classes to speak or if I go to a bigger stage on a college. And if I happen to be speaking about that, because I speak about different things at different colleges. But if it's about the coming out process, I always stand backstage or stand off to the side of the room before I go on. And I actually say in my head, thank you, Marianne, for giving me the courage to do this. Because I will never forget those words she said. I think also what's a really good thing to explore here is a little bit is the, is the whole concept of time isn't it because i mean depending on whether you're a spiritual or, or religious or how you perceive life as a whole to be um we're very linear in, in our society you know it's all about our age and like you say your career path and all that kind of thing but on a, on a much sort of deeper level than that i think it's really important to realize that everything kind of happens at the right time for a reason and even when you have these sort of deep-rooted ideas it might just be that like you said it's not the right time you need to go through certain things which you couldn't possibly understand at the time which enables you to be the person you are not later but actually when it's the right time when you expand into whatever that happens to be and to think of those two things as one even though they're different concepts I think is a really key thing to really support everyone. Well, I think it's difficult as a young person, and I I talk about this frequently, it's really difficult, even though your minds are are fresh and young and you're starting to develop your own perspectives, the hardest thing, and actually this isn't just for young people because I know tons of adults who still haven't figured this out, (laughs) it's really hard to realize every step, every moment, every minute, even as you and I are talking, Mark, every minute of our life is a moment to catch up with where you're supposed to be. And for me, when I did come out of the closet to my parents back when I was 19 years old, it was right at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. I was very naive. I knew what, I, I mean, nobody really knew what that was, but I knew there was something going on. And of course, you know, the news was, it's oh, it's the gay disease, blah, blah, blah. So of course I was scared too. But I was naive and not mature enough to have been out of the closet at that moment. I now know that. I also know that had I come out and fully went out, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with you today because I was so naive to sex and everything else. But what I find so interesting is I had to mature into the gay man I was meant to be so that I could come out of the closet when I was 36. And simultaneously, as I matured into that, I was also maturing into my belief systems of standing up for who you are and maturing into being able to say, no, I'm living life on my terms. Had I not had from 19 to 36 to grow into that maturity to go, I'm going to take a stand to say, this is who I am. I'm going to live life on my terms. I'm going to go do the bold things I'm going to do. I don't think I would have been able to make the bold moves that then followed. As soon as I came out of the closet, I left a corporate job that I didn't enjoy. Then I went back to that job, decided, wait, I really don't enjoy this. Luckily, I was there a year, and they're like, we love you, but we're letting you go. So then I got a nice little golden parachute. Then I went to the next one, but each step was because the one thing my coming out process taught me was, Rick, keep 
being you. What is the essence of you? Who do you really want to be? How do you want to show up in the world? What are these things you want to do? And that then began to build the foundation of me being stronger and stronger and stronger. Well, then lo and behold, in 2006, I get the rug pulled out from under me a second time by getting laid off. And that gave me the foundation to go, okay, I'm going to make this bold move. I'm going to go figure out a way to have my own company and do my own thing. And now here we are. It's 2018. And that was 2006. And I'm still doing that exact thing that I'm doing. And I keep adjusting because I know the bold move is all about adjusting and being curious and continuing to go, okay, well, what do I need to do next? How do I want to show up in the net? You know? And I think this is something that most people miss is realize whatever is happening in this moment may not make a bit of sense. But if you allow it to be and you trust, it's going to make sense down the road. And you mentioned there sometimes this is harder when when you're younger, when you don't have the experience to um, to put all these things together. But I mean, who did you admire when you were young? And um, and what was it about that person that had such a big impact on you? Well, the person that always comes to mind is my grandfather on my mom's side. Uh, beautiful man, simple farmer. Uh, he had uh, owned his farm since he was like a 20 year old kid. Uh, he didn't have a, an extravagant life. He had a good life. And it always fascinated me that here's this man who grew hay, had orchards, you know, he, he farmed. Now he wasn't like a cattle farmer. He simply just farmed. And for me, my mind always said, but how does he make the money? I mean, how does he, you know, and part of it was he was a young man when all this started. So, you know, he bought his land when he was young and all of that. But the reason he was successful was because he was just him. Kind, giving, caring. He never judged people. I never saw him angry except for one time. And all through my young life, and we lived really close to him uh, for about four years of my life. And then even post that, and as I watched him go through losing my grandmother and living alone on the farm and then moving off the farm when we moved him off the farm because he was getting up in age, not that he couldn't survive because he, he was pretty amazing. He was on that farm till he was, I want to say, in his mid-80s and still healthy and everything and then i remember when you know he made the decision that he was going to move to california to be closer to my parents every step of the way he led life on his terms whether it was how he did business how he lived in his faith how he treated people he lived life on his terms and to this day, I mean, every time I think about him, it, it's just this glow of happiness to say, I'm so glad I had that person to show me things that I couldn't see. Even if all it was, was his simple not judging someone when someone would say something about someone else. I can really, I can, I can picture, I can picture the farm even just listening to you talk about it, and and you, I always love those conversations when you hear about people that just 
they basically ood what it is that they are. It's not about <laughs> the advice. It's not about anything else. You can just sense it, and and I think that often has the has the biggest impact of all. Although, having said that, you know, our next question is: is what's the best piece of advice you've been given, and who was it that gave it to you? Boy, that's a interesting one. Um, I don't know that it came from my grandfather. I mean, there's plenty of things he said. I think the one that really struck me the most was, um, and this one's a little difficult to talk about at times. Um, so right after I came out of the closet, my wife and I were going through marriage and family counseling and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we were, we were trying to work through this. And I remember my wife so badly wanting to somehow try to stay together. And I was just like, this isn't going to work. This isn't who I am, even though we, we know we've done this. And so we're working with this therapist and it wasn't going really well for my wife. Um, wasn't really working because she was looking for the answer she couldn't get. There was nothing that was going to change who I was. And so it kind of came to the place where she decided it wasn't working for her. And I said, well, do you mind if I continue working with her? And yeah, I guess so. And you know, we won't go into all that because I didn't turn out to be, you know, it really wasn't what she wanted. But anyway, so I started working with the therapist one on one. And I went in at one point in time and I said, you know, there's just something about you. And I'm saying this to the therapist that makes me feel like you really get me more than the average person does. And she goes, oh, why do you say that? I said, I don't know. You seem to really get this. And she said, well, I rarely admit this, but she goes, I feel like I can do this with you. It's because my husband came out of the closet late in life. And I was really taken aback by that because, not because it was like so shocking, but in a way it was shocking, but I'm like, wow, she does really get me. And then she said these words. The thing I most learned about this whole experience was I could be angry and unhappy until I realized my husband was angry and unhappy because he couldn't be who he was. And nobody, nobody deserves to live with being angry and unhappy in themselves because they can't be who they are. And that was a very moving moment for me. And again, there's the connection. That was the first time that solidly landed with me. And it's ironic that here we are all of these years down the road. If you really strip back everything I do, making bold moves, living life on your terms, the podcast, living life uncloseted, it's about nobody having to be angry and happy for being who they are. I think that really is the, uh, that really is the key to so much, isn't it? And I think to, to hear that advice from someone especially in such a um an intimate moment and and such a you know a pivotal moment in your in your life i think you can really well you can definitely hear the impact obviously but more importantly just the the ability to connect with someone on that level gives you a whole different sense of of what life is for you and and also your relationships with everyone around and to have that idea that it's how the other person is feeling what you want for them and what impact that has not just on them but also for you as well i think uh yeah there's there's some some a lot of people listening who are really um really feeling that right now so really thanks for sharing that for us 
Well, and the thing that's happened for me as I step into it, and trust me, folks, I am not perfect at this at all. But every time I start to feel that, that I need to question what somebody else is doing or something else, I, I, I dial back and I go, wait, are they angry and unhappy because they're not being who they are? Or am I angry and unhappy because they're being who they are and I'm not allowing them to be that? And as a father, this comes up all the time. It's like, okay, I got to step back and let my kid be who they are. Yes, I can give advice. I can say, hey, what if you looked at it from this perspective, you know, da, 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 da. But it becomes my humble come to Jesus moment when I have to step back and hear those words again with my own children. I don't want to make my child angry and unhappy because in some way I've told my child, as my parents did at one point in time, you can't be who you are. I never want anybody in my life to feel that they can't be who they are. And I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. I am not perfect at doing that. But it's something I do really, I do strive to try to do it as much as I can. And I think I think just all, sort of one step, um, not further than that, but, but within that sort of scope is the when they're hurting or when there's something that's happened, especially as a father, you know, when you want to just make it okay, is actually holding them in, 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 in sort of almost in the palm of your hand and saying you know I know you're hurting I know this is a struggle I know I might even have the answers but I need to allow you to mm-hmm. figure that out for yourself or I need you to feel that pain or I need you to to get this experience from it otherwise you know like we've spoken about already if that isn't the case then you don't get your journey either do you no you don't and, that, and it's it's such a beautiful two-way street because what I've found is the more that I learn to open the door to allow someone else to be who they are the more doors open for me to continue to be who i am every time i step up and try to make somebody else be something they're not or not allow somebody to be and it's tough i think this u.s political state we're in right now it's been one of the toughest things i've learned is and I still struggle with it is to like, okay, I got to kind of hear the other side, so to speak. Doesn't mean I have to agree, but they're being who they are. Even though at times I go, they're wrong. They're being who they are. But as soon as I allow that energy to say they're being who they are, what happens for me is even if I don't agree with them, my anger, my frustration, everything diminishes because I've now opened the doorway for them to be who they are so that I can also have the doorway open for me to be who I am. Even if they don't open that door, I've allowed myself to have faith in myself and trust myself to continue to be who I am. Yeah, and that's all you can do, isn't it? Is that that's the control you do have is over you and how you want to be. And 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 the bigger picture is, is like you say, that opens doors which you can't possibly understand until until you allow that to be the case. And there's a there's a really big sort of growth mindset and a, and a way of being and growing in, in that particular way of thinking Mm -hmm. i think absolutely um what advice would you give your younger self now (laughs) oh so many but um this one is really resonating with me currently it um be patient be patient and trust and anytime i get to the space where big things are happening i'm really learning this lesson right now there's some big shifts happening uh I want to get it done now. I want things to happen, but 
I always take myself back to, wow, at 19, you came out, Rick. And then guess what? You got patient and you let yourself mature. And then finally you did the thing you need to do at 36, hmm, 19 to 36. That's almost 20 years, Rick. Sometimes you just got to be patient and trust. And the more I could have taught myself that at a younger age, what a beautiful thing. However, I will caveat it by saying, I'm really glad I had to learn all the things I did that I didn't already know. And one of them being, I didn't know how to be patient and trust. And I'm glad I'm finally really sinking in and starting to learn that even at 55 years old. And what does your future look like? That's a really good question, Mark. Um, I'm in a really interesting transition space right now. I've been a coach for, gosh, going on almost 10 years now. I've been doing podcasting for almost, well, technically probably seven years. It was a radio show before it became a podcast, and there were a couple of years that we took a break. Uh, I'm just starting really to get some potential speaking gigs on a regular basis. I would say my future is about really stepping deeper into doing work with men and helping these guys really, really make the bold move to unmask their masculinity and be the guys they're really meant to be. And even as I say that, my heart feels that. I don't know what that looks like. I have some ideas because we're in the midst of working with it. I'm actually working with a potential partner right now, business partner on doing some interesting work in that arena in the corporate realm. Um, I know my future is about continuing to do this work with people. If I had to pick something, I'd say there's probably new, there's another book in my future. I do believe there's some stage presence, but it's not from an egoic space. It's more of a, I know I'm going to be standing in front of some people, maybe some pretty good sized audiences, but at the heart of it all is getting to the heart of men and saying, can we just release this masculine BS and just be the guys we're meant to be? So as we just um, start to sort of finish off our conversation now, um, what podcast, book, video, film, song or other resource has had the biggest impact on your life and why is that? Well, um, the book most recently is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. Uh, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. No, but... probably not. <laughs> Yeah, but it's by Mark Manson. Go find it. It's an amazing book. Uh, I believe it's one of the more genuine, like really heartfelt books. Two other books that do come to mind. It's interesting. They all kind of lined up in like a three. Like I read all the time, but I read a lot of like just novels and stuff to kind of that's my relaxation. But every once in a while, I will pick up like the books that I'm like, okay, these are my daytime reading books. I'll read a chapter or two each day before I start my work. So the first book that really started to have an impact on me was Shonda Rhimes, um, A Year of Saying Yes. And then Elizabeth Gilbert wasn't Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, even though I loved Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert came out about the same time that Shonda's book came out, Big Magic. And so I read A Year of Saying Yes, then I did The Big Magic, and then along came The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. And then our mutual friend, Mark Asquith, um, sent a book out, The One Thing. 
And it was just so interesting. Those four books just kind of like stacked up on top of each other, literally and intellectually as I read them and really guided me to the space of, I need to say yes to whatever my big magic is so that I can let go and not give a F so I can do the one thing that I meant to do. And it's been over a year, couple of year period that those books, and I actually go back through each of them in different ways. Like right now, I'm currently listening to Elizabeth Gilbert's book on audio. Uh, I'm looking for a year of saying yes. I think one of my girls must have absconded with it from the house <laughs> at some point. Um, I always have the art of uh, the subtle art of not giving an F right by my bedside because I just every once in a while I got to read a chapter just to get me grounded again. And the one thing is kind of like the one thing I pick up once a week and I'll read a chapter just like, okay, stay focused, stay focused. Um, so those are the, definitely the books that just really truly guide me at this point. And who knows a year from now, it'll probably be some other books. Um, but yeah, those are the books that really get me as far as a movie. This one's going to be an oldie, but there's something about the color purple that it moves me every time I see it. And uh, I don't know whether it's because I'm a big Oprah fan or if it's just I know inside me there's a big black diva that <laughs> always wants to come out and she just wants to play. But there's just something about that one that moves me. And um, then there's this ironic thing about the, um, the musical Les Mis that just it's almost kind of like it lives within me as just I don't know. There's just something about that whole thing of that production. And ironically, the first time I ever got to see that production was actually in London. And I remember, I don't even remember the theater, but it was one of the most beautiful old theaters in London. And we got tickets at the half price ticket thing. And the next thing I knew, this was when I was married, uh, my wife and I were like fourth row center or something like that. And it was just a beautiful production. So, uh, so yeah, those are kind of my drivers. I really like the fact that um, as you were sort of talking about the books and, and all of that, the fact that these things do come sort of sometimes one after the other, don't they? You just sort of open the door yeah. and then something else just appears. And I think just sort of allowing these things to happen, I guess that's the real theme of, of, the, of our conversation today is to have the patience and allow things to come and talk to you when they can. And from that space, you can you can really get all the information that you want as and when you need it. So um, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. It's been so insightful and and, and so poignant. Um, um, What's the best way for people to find out more about you and and explore the work that you're doing? Sure. My website is rick at rickclemens.com and Clemens is C-L-E-M-O-N-S. That's the best way to find me. Or you can Google make, make your bold move. You can... Google, or you can go and put in um, masculinity unmasked, but Rick at rickclemens.com is really the best way you'll get to everything. Fabulous. Thank you, Rick, uh, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn so much from your experiences. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.